Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast. It's Friday and welcome to Football Social Daily. It's the end of the week but by no means the end of the action as England take on Italy tonight in the Nations League. But how will it go for Gareth Southgate? Can England take some momentum into the World Cup by winning these games after a bit of a disaster in the last international break? We'll look at that as well as the latest from the back pages of the papers where Brendan Rodgers' future may be up to the fans at Leicester City. Pochettino is holding out for a top job in the top flight and is Donny done at Old Trafford? Van der Beek's future in question as well. Not only that, it's quiz day on Football Social Daily, so racking their brains over the last seven days of action will be Joel Tudor and Ian Brannan, who are both on the show today. Hello, gents. Hi, welcome, everyone. Reigning champion of the quiz from last week, which was the most outstanding uh, surprise of the (laughs) entire weekend of fixtures, I've got to say. I wouldn't say that was an outstanding surprise, considering you were up against Joel. But, um, but, but, you, know. you see what I mean? The agenda, like, everyone can see this in plain light. The agenda the quiz master has now, he didn't even want me to win. Yeah, but like, do you know you what? Like, partial. Last week, Joel was going on about how I had more multiple choice questions, which is which is correct. It is right. Point, but I was listening listening back to it. It was the multiple choice ones I got wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> even st- <laughs> well, that's a you. That sounds like a you problem, Ian. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. You'll be happy to to learn that there are no multiple choice questions on today's quiz. So oh, I'm taking all right. possible excuses out for any side here. <laughs> the questions are quite easy as well, but we'll come on to, in my opinion, Good. anyway. But we'll. Come Come on to the quiz a little bit later on because that is what's going to close out this week's Football Social Daily podcasts. But first, we're going to start with what's actually happening later this evening, which is England against Italy in Milan in the UEFA Nations League. So England taking on the Italians and the Germans in this international break in some competitive fixtures before the World Cup in Qatar, which is only, what, just under two months away now. So I'll start with you, Joel. We've spoken a few times about Southgate and the personnel he's chosen for the latest England squad and what formation might suit England the best. He likes a back three. Are you expecting a back three from England tonight against Italy? 
Yeah, you would expect it. So, I mean, it's it's a case of if it's not broke, don't fix it. But I mean, is it broke enough where we're not winning tournaments yet? So it is time to fix it potentially in terms of going with a back four. Because I've mentioned in previous podcasts how I hate how England just go into this inferior side against the top nations, you know, such as Italy or Germany, where they feel they have to go with a back three and two holding midfielders and a couple of wing backs. When I feel like we have a bit more quality than that, but I mean, when you're playing against the likes of Italy, who have just such a dominant midfield of like Verratti, Barela, um, there's just so many options that they have, and they're just worlds apart from England's current midfield setup. Unfortunately, um, England just don't have any world class midfielders at the moment, and that's probably going to hinder the team when they go into the World Cup because when you look at every other top nation all their midfields have got world class in all departments of it apart from England which is a little bit more alarming but I'm 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 anticipating just a, a hopefully just a better and more rigid performance considering the last Nations League game was ridiculous where we got beat 4-0 by Hungary and that was quite a shock to the system I think for everyone even though it is just a Nations League game it was just the fact that, you know, it was a pretty decently well-sided team, you know, with Bellingham, Saka, Kane, Stones. It was a lot of the candidates who will be going to the World Cup and it was just completely abysmal. But I think we have to take into account that it was the 14th of June, the whole season was finished and I don't really look into that too much. But, I mean, it's against an Italy side who didn't even qualify for the World Cup. Sorry to my Italian followers who were <laughs> listening to this, but just had to remind you once again, you're not in the World Cup. Um, but I think it will be a good, it's going to be a really good test these next two games because I feel like against opposi- opposition such as Hungary and the likes of Switzerland, I mean, no disrespect to those national sides, but I think it's a much better standpoint to go up against these nations who have world-class players. And I think it'll be quite telling to see just where England are, considering um, the season's already started. All the players are still in really good match rhythm compared to when they usually are, which is you know beginning of June, end of uh, mid June. So it's going to be an interesting test, I think. You said if it ain't broke, don't fix it, which is a bit of a classic saying in all walks of life, really. But is it broken? Because if you look at the last international break, England's form was awful. Those games against Hungary really didn't go to plan, did they, Ian? So how important is it that England do take some sort of momentum into the World Cup in November in Qatar? Not going to be easy against the likes of Italy and then Germany on Monday, but you don't want to be going into the tournament having lost a load of games and confidence being low. No, of course confidence is a is a big part of of it isn't it you know probably i mean depends which sportsman you speak to but you know they can say you know maybe half or 75% of the game can be can be a mental thing you know the confidence therefore is very very important and especially as these are competitive games as well um really you know they they should be winning and even against italy they should be winning italy have not had a good time uh, lately either so the pressure is kind of on both sides but with england going into the world cup unlike italy who who have completely derailed since that uh, Euros win. Um, you know, England want to have, first of all, a, a good, confident performance, but they also um, want to be able to maybe get their team together to play together, who they're going to be putting out there on the field when things do get underway in Qatar, which is, as you say, not not long now, and, and this is the last... Um, real test where they can they can get together and and play a meaningful match before things do get underway, and they're not even going in with you know their first choice players. You you, you argue particularly in goal with uh, Aaron Ramsdale set to be in goal again. Jordan Pickford 
is is still injured. Uh, Ramsdale, his confidence can't be that great in an England shirt because he was in goal for that 4-0 loss to Hungary. Um, the other options, Nick Pope, Dean Henderson. I mean, Dean Henderson in the league's certainly not the best time between the sticks for, for Nottingham Forest. Um, so, yeah, it, it is a big question mark. And they could do with a, a good performance to settle those nerves. Um, I just don't think the conditions are exactly perfect, considering that, as I say, some of the players are, are out. Some of the regulars for England are not playing for their own team, like Harry Maguire. Um, and then they're going to the San Siro to face Italy. It's not exactly uh, the sort of match that, that, that really, on paper at least, you would say is going to be a confidence booster. Yeah, I mean, it's always hard to go to a top European team and beat them in their own backyard. But then again, teams have found it tough coming to Wembley and other venues around the country beating England so Roberto Mancini is under no illusions that despite the fact England have been poor in the last international break and don't really have that much momentum or confidence going into this game tonight he says that they are still one of the world's best teams do you agree with that Joel do you agree with what Mancini is saying and obviously as a manager he's not going to say stand there and say England are rubbish we're going to smash them because you know football can come back and bite you on the arse so easily when you say stuff like that But when you think about how things have changed since the last Euros, for example, Ian's right. You've got players like Maguire and Luke Shaw who are in the squad who haven't really played for Manchester United regularly enough to be considered in form. You've got players like Raheem Sterling who have moved from Manchester City to a Chelsea side who are going through changes themselves. So there's maybe a a bit of a change there. Declan Rice's West Ham team are in the relegation zone. Calvin Phillips has got a shoulder injury and is pulled out. Jordan Henderson's come in back into the England setup with a Liverpool team who aren't firing on all cylinders. So it feels like in terms of the flow of how things have gone and that unity and togetherness, things have maybe changed slightly. There's been a bit of a disruption. Am I overthinking things here or do you see where I'm coming from? I'm a little bit conflicted with this team at the moment compared to the last four years. And that's one of the reasons, like you've just mentioned, I feel like in the last tournament you had so many players going into it who had just some of the best seasons of the career namely you know Declan Rice with West Ham in that Europa League campaign and Harry Kane scoring a bunch of goals under Conte and getting a bit more under form and there were just so many players where it was going right for them especially Grealish as well just prior to that Manchester City move and then now you've got all when you look at all those players again they're in teams where they're not they're a little bit disjointed. They're not having a, enough match rhythm. Um, you know, for example, I feel like we all criticised Sven Goran Eriksson and all the previous England managers for picking players based on status, prestige, who they play for, rather than actual form. And yet, Southgate is now reverting to that. I understand that he trusts a lot of these players. For example, Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw, who let's not forget were in the player of uh, the players of the tournament team uh, in the Euro 2020 just last year so I'm sure regardless of their form he trusts them so he's always going to pick them but then we always criticise managers for that when they used to pick them when they were not on form for their clubs so going into this uh, tournament now I feel as though the team stagnated a little bit I feel like there's just a little bit less quality than there was last year for example and when you look at the teams that England were beating in all of these tournaments to get to the actual semi-finals and ultimately the final in the Euros, they always got undone by the better sides, as in the better quality sides. You know, in the World Cup, it was Croatia. They were the first quality side, aside from Belgium in the group stages that they get they got beat by, uh, that they got beat by Croatia in the semi-finals and they obviously went into the final. And then in the Euros, 
we beat a pretty poor Germany team, let's be honest, and then Italy, who were head and shoulders much better in the final. So in this tournament, when you look at the tournament tree and who England could face early on, it could potentially be France in the last 16, or I think it's the last 16 or the quarterfinals. And I mean, they're one of the favourites to win it. And right now, I wouldn't have much faith of an England side facing France right now. Uh, but then again, I mean, France, they struggled in the last year. It's got knocked out by Switzerland pretty early. So I don't know. I'm I'm really unsure how England are going to be in this World Cup because there's just so many factors going into it. You know, the weather and how disjointed the players are in terms of their form for their club. So it's, I don't know. It's gonna. I think this international break will be telling to see um, just how well they play. I'm not really interested in the result. It's more so just the actual performance itself. I mean, Nations League relegation is possible, whatever that means, because I don't think fans have really taken to this whole Nations League concept. But if England don't win against Italy and Germany, they could slide down into the division below in the Nations League. Do you think that that element of added jeopardy with the Nations League and its introduction over the last three years has changed much for fans or for the players even, Ian? Um, I don't know. With, with the Nations League, see, I, you know, I watch a, a reasonable amount of football. I don't really understand it. I've got to be honest. It's just it's it's a tournament that kind of arrived out of nowhere. We've got the staples in the calendar of the European Championships and the World Cup. And then the Nations League just seems to be confusing. And I think if you've got a tournament that you've got to actually look up how it works to understand who's where and, and who's playing who when. I, I maybe I, I, maybe it's just me, but I can't get my head around the Nations League. I don't even know where we are in it. I don't know what we're aiming for. <laughs> I don't know what you know. It's it's just like it's something that's just been stuck in there, and I don't know. Uh, it doesn't. It hasn't really captured my imagination. I can't imagine that it's also captured the imagination uh, of of many other people. Maybe for some of the smaller nations who feel like they've got something to aim at, but it's still about the World Cup. And it's still about the European Championships. Now, where I think it will come in is if England have a shocker in the World Cup, then all of a sudden, oh, and in the Nations League, we were terrible as well. Do you know what I mean? It'll it'll kind of back up the argument because I can see that the the vultures are not circling, but I think they're sort of they sat on the uh, on the telegraph wire, shall we say, just on the on the outskirts of the stadium for for Gareth Southgate. And I think <laughs> if it doesn't go well, they'll be leaping in. And this what happens in the in the Nations League. Of course, you know it's good to have competitive matches. I suppose it's sort of a it's sort of a friendly with a purpose, isn't it? The Nations League. It's 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 not full strength stuff, but it's a it's it's a reason to have a friendly rather than just having a friendly and everybody shrugging their shoulders. It, you, you've got a league table and see where you've gone. But um, yeah, I don't know. It, I don't I don't think it's the be all and end all. Um, but I think obviously it it is this the kind of thing that will be used. Um, against Gareth Southgate if it all goes wrong in Qatar. Yeah, and I I totally see what you what you're saying and just to kind of surmise what the Nations League is if anyone's not so sure, maybe you're listening from outside of Europe and you're not quite sure what the deal is with the Nations League when it comes to UEFA. There are four leagues, League A, B, C and D, and each league has four groups, 1, 2, 3 and 4. So bonkers, right? What? It's like everybody's a winner. It's like the school bloody playing. What you call it? Sports day, isn't it? I I do understand it to be fair, and I get what UEFA are trying to get at here. So the A League 
has the best teams in Europe, the B League, the the lesser, C again, and then your D League is like San Marino, Malta, Gibraltar, these sorts of teams. Um, And the way it works is each group, of which there are four in each league, has four teams. So for instance, England's group is Hungary, Germany, Italy, and themselves. And England are currently fourth. If they finish bottom of their group after playing everyone once at home, once away, they drop down to the League B so they're actually, they, they don't have an opportunity to play in the final because there is a trophy up for grabs at the end of this. Um, but I mean, we could do a whole podcast on explaining the Nations right. League. But I mean, that kind of goes back to my original question, Ian. Do the fans, does it really mean much? I mean, there's jeopardy no. here at risk for England. They could go down. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So but if they do, so what? What's going to happen? They just you know, play people are just going to, the world will just carry on and people will shrug their shoulders. Whereas if we got to the, you know, World Cup as we have and we go out, in the first round, then that'll be a big deal and everybody be clamouring for it. But it, it, I don't know, It's I think it's a noble concept, but if, you've, if you're Malta, right, and I, I read the news in Malta quite a lot, and, um, you know, what, what are the big sports in Malta? Things like volleyball, massive in Malta. They, they absolutely look, you know, that is a big, that is a bigger deal than the football. And there's, there's a, sp- like water polo, I think's big there. Massive, bigger than football, more important by a long way in Malta. So for them, the fact that they're in Group D, they can win all their games. Are they ever going to get to the, the, the heights of Group B or Group A? Never. They're never going to get there. So it, it, it's kind of preserving the status quo, isn't it? Because the biggest teams are in the biggest league. The littlest teams are in the smallest pond. And it's going to be really hard for them ever to get out of that. So, you know, what's, what's kind of the point? The same teams are still playing the same people all the time. I think... England go down to Group B, spices it up a bit. Yeah, they'll be coming up against the likes of Bosnia, <laughs> Montenegro, Finland, yeah. Romania, Serbia, Great Sweden, Norway, these of sorts year. of teams. Yeah, so yeah. that's kind Happiness. of the way things are. England against Italy tonight in the UEFA Nations League. It takes place in the San Siro in Milan. Right, we're going to leave that to one side for now. I'm going to take a look at the back pages of today's newspapers next. There's plenty of gossip doing the rounds and we'll get stuck into it after this on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sports at sport-social.co.uk. 
Welcome back. It is the international break and naturally that means some interesting stories popping up in the papers and indeed online as well. And that's what we're going to look at now, starting with this from The Athletic, who say that Leicester City intend to give Brendan Rodgers time to turn things around. But fan reception in their home game against Forest, which is the first match after the international break, may influence any decision the board makes. I thought that was a really interesting story, actually, Joel. It's been released by The Athletic. If you look at Leicester City's next six fixtures, they're all certainly more winnable than the start that they've had. Meanwhile, they're in really wretched form and they come up against Forest in a local derby in their first game after the international break. And you see this report here from The Athletic saying that if fan reception is of a certain way, that that might influence them to make a change. That's interesting to me. And although it's nice to hear owners listening to fans... If you think back to last season where Brighton fans booed Graham Potter for a nil-nil home draw against Leeds, um, I think sometimes that can be a dangerous precedent to set. What do you think? I think everyone needs to remember these guys are really successful businessmen who know exactly what direction they're going in. I don't think they need fans to be booing the team to understand the situation that they're in. Because let's not forget, they were quick to get rid of Claudio Ranieri and bring in someone else after he did all that for them the season before. And they definitely would do it again should they need to if the t- if the uh, league form continues to dip. And like we've, we've been mentioning in previous podcasts, I think it's just the perfect scenario for a club if they do need to get rid of a manager this year just because of that one-month break where they can really plan ahead. Um, but I just think that the fixtures, it depends what perspective you want to look at it. The fixtures fall in Leicester's favour in the fact that I feel as though they have way more than enough to actually beat those teams that you've mentioned in the next six fixtures. But then on the flip side, because of the performances in the form that they're in at the moment, I also don't have confidence that they're going to do that right now. So I think that's the owner's perspective that they're going to take, which is that the fans will react even more heavily and criticise even more heavily due to the fact that the level of opposition in the next few games is teams that are in and around the relegation places. So if, you, if you're losing to those teams who have just as much motivation to try and get those points as your team should have, then I think there's only one way for it and something we'll probably have to give. Um, I wasn't convinced of getting rid of him in September t- uh, now, basically, or early September. But I think when it gets to mid-October time, and it starts trickling towards that World Cup period. I wouldn't be surprised if they keep him during the October period and then suddenly in November time, they'll just make a low-key announcement to just say, you know, we're going to be moving him on and trying to do something different if results don't go his way. I still believe truly that he'll turn it around just because when you look at that team, it's got so much quality in every single area. It's just that I feel like they're just lacking a lot of belief. It's just the fundamentals they're lacking at the moment. Um, And also we're seeing the complete decline of Jamie Vardy now, which is kind of sad to see considering he was the guy and the go-to guy to get them the goals, which they're kind of struggling with at the moment. Um, So I think October is a massive time for Leicester, uh, mainly for Brendan Rodgers. And to be honest, I feel like if Brendan Rodgers was to go, it's not something that he would be fighting against it all when he speaks in the media about the situation it's almost as if he's kind of very glass 
half empty as if to say well if they sat me you know it's the right decision if they don't sat me I'll get on with it rather than no I actually want to really turn this around and we saw that after the cha- uh, the transfer window as well he seemed very blasé about the situation and very you know just 50-50 didn't really care what was going on he seemed just very uh, pessimistic so I don't know if that's fed into the season but let's see what the next six games brings because it's a big six games for them well those six games are Nottingham Forest Bournemouth Crystal Palace Leeds and Wolves before the end of October and their final game of October is at home to Manchester City so they very much got some some winnable games I mean even if you go beyond that Man City game and into November they've got Everton West Ham and Newcastle before they take on Liverpool at the end of 2022. So you look at these fixtures, Ian, and you can understand why the Leicester board and the Leicester owners are holding fire at the moment. Apparently, it's going to cost them around £10 million to sever ties with Brendan Rodgers. But they do think that he deserves time to turn it around. And when you think about what he's done there at the club, he has been a successful manager. There's absolutely no doubts about it. But what do you make of this whole idea of fans possibly could influence the decision and this report coming out because is that going to encourage some Leicester supporters to really give both barrels to Brendan Rodgers when he walks out of the tunnel in that game against Forest. Seems to be a bit of a bonkers way of running a club, doesn't it? You know, uh, you sort of scream, you know, half the crowd scream, do you want, do you want to keep Brendan? Cheers. Way. Uh, do, do you want us to sack him? Way. Like a Roman like, emperor thing, I was going to say, it's like, or like a kid's party or something that Mr. Tumble would do at the end of his show, you know. It's, uh, yeah, it's not the way you would be running a club and I'm surprised that Leicester would be swayed by that considering how loyal they've all been you know the the owners of course the Leicester board and the the players and the staff there are, you know they've been through some good times and and of course very bad times over the years uh, they've always been fairly faithful to their staff though you know and as long as everything's been going well they've stuck by them and they've usually given um the managers or even the players you know as 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 much support as as they need so it seems like to me unusual that they would be having a bit of a knee jerk reaction as you say looking at the fixtures that they've played they've had a tough start to the season you know and and every team can have a blip you know and are going to have a blip every team's going to have that um, just for Leicester, I feel that it's maybe come at the start of the season. So now, you know, they've they've played what Arsenal, um, uh, Chelsea, Man United. You know, those fixtures in the first month that are not easy um, for anybody, for any team. You know, Man City would be looking at a fixture list that had Arsenal, Man United, and Chelsea as, among your first matches as 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 a difficult prospect. So I think, yeah, let's see how they get on in the next block of games because. Um, They've got Nottingham Forest next, then they've got Bournemouth, then they've got Crystal Palace, then they've got Leeds. Uh, So, you know, these are all more sort of winnable games, if you like. Uh, So I think you've got to give them at least until what? Looking down the fixture list, I think you've got to give them until Christmas at least and see how it pans out, you know, have a full round of, of fixtures uh, against all the teams and see how it's panning out. Of course, if Leicester are still in dire straits by Christmas, then, you know, rightly, you would be panicking because you know what the, the saying is about teams at the bottom at Christmas and so on. But I think they have faced um, the toughest opposition early doors and they've got a run of more winnable games now. So I think that should be the, the litmus test, not how your side gets on against the the biggest hitters in the Premier League and then panic. Yeah, and also this whole idea about fan reception might influence any decision 
to do with Brendan Rodgers' future. I think even if you disregard that, that game against Forest on Monday night after the international break finishes is massive. It's absolutely huge for both clubs, not only because of the the local rivalry between the two sides, but also because of the context of the table. So that comes from The Athletic. And we're going to move on to a report from the Manchester Evening News now. And one of Manchester United persuasion and Donny van der Beek's future at Old Trafford could be decided before the World Cup. October is what the MEN is saying, Joel, is when van der Beek's future will be decided. What do you think that future looks like? Because even though he's a a Dutch international who played under Erik ten Hag at Ajax and did exceptionally well under his tutelage, he's not really had a great time of it at Manchester United. I'd go as far to say he's been a bit of a flop signing. Didn't really work under Solskjaer, didn't get played under Ralph Rangnick, hasn't been getting much game time under Erik ten Hag. So do you think it's a failed experiment that hasn't worked out? And what do you think that that future looks like for Donny van der Beek? Is it a loan move away? Is it a permanent transfer in the January window? What do you make of this one? I think his future is already on the wall. As soon as Ten Hag came in and didn't start using him, despite being the manager who was was over him during his best time of his career, to then not play when he actually arrives at the club, I think that says everything you need to know. He's not in his main first team plans. And he's rightly so, to be honest, because you can keep saying, oh, he needs to get a run of fixtures or he needs a loan, he needs this, he needs that. How about taking a little bit of accountability and showing something in games? Because every time he's played, I've really not been impressed with him. I don't really know what kind of player he is because Ten Hag says he can be, you know, a number eight, potentially a number 10. He's definitely not a holy midfielder, but he's not going to displace Bruno Fernandes. He's not going to displace Ericsson at the moment. They're absolutely worlds apart in terms of what they, how they influence the game. And for me, I'm just thinking it might be best if he just goes back to Ajax and rediscovers his form and kind of love for the game again because I can't imagine being on the bench after such successful years at Ajax. You know, the Ajax team in 2009 was an incredible side to then basically not play for two years. It's going to really do something to your ability and stagnate your career. And as we all know, a footballer's career isn't the longest one. And when you're losing two, three years on the bench in what should be coming up to your prime years, I think it's smart and it's logical to start looking at your at your prospects and thinking, is this the right club for me? Especially with a manager that he knows so well. And I'm sure the communication's great between them. And he knows the score of the situation, which is you've got to improve to get into this side because it's a winning side at the moment. Um, and if we look back as well at why he was signed I'm still not convinced he was even a Solskjaer signing to be honest because that summer they were struggling to buy players full stop and Real Madrid were touted to be going in for him in and around when United just reignited their interest and 40 million is a, was a lot of money to pay in the first place for him because even when I watched him in the Ajax side in the Champions League, I wasn't massively convinced compared to some of the other players that he was alongside, you know, namely Frankie De Jong or De Ligt. And to me, it was just a desperation signing and one to appease the fans. And it's just shown that he, he's just not part of the system. So I think for me, looking into it, if he doesn't get any game time with the Dutch national side in the World Cup I think he has to do it for his career to be honest because he does seem like a really nice guy and a really true professional but I think he's just a very small fish in a big pond, that's the best way I can describe it. Well Donny van der Beek as we've mentioned and as Joel's picked up on, played under Solskjaer played under Rangnick, played under Carrick, 
plays now under Eric Ten Hag, but he hasn't really played at all. And I guess that that's the point, isn't it? What is it that he's doing wrong? Is he doing anything wrong? Because, you know, some might say that a manager doesn't fancy a player, Ian, which is fair enough. And then a manager gets sacked and another person comes in and then starts playing aforementioned player. But for Van der Beek, that's three, arguably four different managers now. He's had a chance under at Manchester United. Or maybe he's not had a chance, but whatever way you read it, he's not favoured for some reason. So, you know, is that telling in itself? It, it suggests that there's there's more going on than meets the eye, doesn't it? Because when he goes off and seemingly on international duty, for example, he seems to be, you know, doing doing a decent job on the pitch but when it comes to Manchester United he's not been firing he's certainly not been living up to his potential uh, it suggests that either there's problems within the team or within you know in the background somewhere really and obviously we see the players for an hour and a half or you know or maybe less on a, on a weekly basis um, the manager gets to work with them all day every day from nine o'clock in the morning until whatever time they go home in the afternoon and you know uh Maybe it's just not there. Maybe the attitude isn't right or maybe the work ethic isn't there or he's not really subscribing to the methods or there's other baggage and beef going on we don't know about. But um, I'm sure that there's a, for those that, you know, are in the know, we'll, we'll, it'll probably all make sense. Um, we're not in the know, so we're left speculating. But, you know, generally speaking, when this kind of thing happens, that there there's, there is a reason for it. Well, Donny van der Beek's future will be decided very soon. If you believe the Manchester Evening News and the Evening Standard, a different newspaper, are saying that Maurizio Pochettino, arguably a one-time Manchester United target, will be waiting for a top job in England, Spain or Italy for his next role. He's been linked with the likes of Nice. He's also said to have been on a shortlist for Leicester City should they part ways with Brendan Rodgers. But he doesn't seem to be interested in any of that, Ian. It looks like one of the big guns in England, Spain or Italy is what he's after. You can understand that considering the reputation he's carved for himself as a manager, did very well at Tottenham, also managed PSG. But what is a top job in England, Spain or Italy? What sort of clubs are we talking about here? Are we talking the genuine, massive super clubs? I think it's, you know, one of those clubs that's regularly in the Champions League, isn't it? Whether whether you brand them as a, as a super club or not. Um, you know, Juventus, I'm seeing rumoured for him as well, you know, uh, because I think things are uh, not exactly overly rosy there and and the rumor is that there could be a, a vacancy there sometime soon so i suppose when you've when you've been at you know it was at tottenham and then obviously the psg thing when you were in that circle and you're operating at that level and and competing in the champions league i suppose you get a taste for it don't you and you don't want to feel like you're taking a step back by say going back to southampton or something uh or nottingham forest um you know you 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 want to be competing for the for the biggest honors because you've 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 worked at one of the biggest clubs in the world and doesn't always work out as we've seen say for example with David Moyes you know he he was at Manchester United that didn't work out and you know he's making a fist of it now at um at West Ham it's taking him a bit of time but he's more of a manager that likes to get stuck in and and have a a long project whereas you, you sense with Pochettino you know he wants to be there thereabouts and moving a bit quicker with with a team that's maybe you know halfway there already and uh, uh and and you know somebody like Juventus will be more realistic I think so 
I think good luck to him. But obviously, those jobs come with with a, with a couple of premiums. Firstly, everybody wants those jobs, so another big hitter gets gets the sack, and you're up against them. They're them. Um, and also, then there's the pressure, and the, these jobs invariably last long, uh, last a shorter amount of time because you know, if you don't deliver, you, you're you're out as as quick as you can get in. It does feel like Joel to me that his next job won't be in England. When you think about who's possibly going to make way for any of those top six clubs, Mikel Arteta is doing a great job at Arsenal. Conte's very firmly in his job at Spurs. Ten Hag's just got to Manchester United, and then you've got. Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp who let's face it they're not going anywhere well he's already bided his time prior to that Paris Saint-Germain job I think he was out of work for a good six to nine months before he ended up going there so he's not afraid to take time out of the game and just wait for the right opportunity but when you look in the Premier League I think the only real candidate I could see is Spurs if things start going downwards with Conte, which I don't see. I've always said at the start of the season, I think that Spurs will have a good season this year and I think they'll be there or thereabouts in the league come May time. Um, And then I think like Juventus, I think think, uh, Tuchel is nailed on for that if Allegri ends up getting sacked, which I think will be quite soon. And then where where else is left? I mean, Bayern at the moment could be a potential contender considering uh, Nagelsmann struggling at the start of the season. But apart from there, there's not really a great choice of top clubs. It could be a case of him actually dropping down a t- um, to a team, you know, the likes of Celta Vigo or someone who's doing well in their league, but they want to upgrade. But I mean, these teams are not going to get rid of their no managers way. anytime soon. surely. I can't imagine Pochettino doing a job like that. Nah, Celta Vigo are a top club in Spain at the moment. They've been having two, two great years. One Copa del Rey last year. But I mean, some a team of, of, of the likes of... Um, I mean, in Italy, I feel like all the top jobs have been taken as well. You know, the likes of Napoli, Inter, AC, they're all set. So I think he's going to take another bit of time out of the game again. Assess his options. Potentially, he might even do the Argentina job after the World Cup. Who knows? So let's see what his options are but again he's going to be waiting on another job and when you've got Tuchel in the job market I think he will be the first one if let's say Bayern get rid of Nagelsmann or if Juventus get rid of uh, Allegri I think Tuchel's going to be the number one candidate regardless Okay well Maurizio Pochettino is going to wait for a top job in either England, Spain or Italy for his next role according to the evening standard and that draws a line under this week's gossip columns on the podcast and next we're going to end the week in our usual fashion which is putting these two through their paces with a weekly quiz let's do it next after this Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily and it's a Friday, so we're going to look back across the week's footballing action by testing Joel Tudor and Ian Brannan's knowledge over the last seven days. Joel still feels hard done by from last week, of which Ian was the worthy winner 
Um, have you got your excuses ready, Joel? Just get, you know, anything you can throw out there early. Just, you I'm know. feeling a bit of pressure today because a few people in the Telegram group were saying they thought I was going to win last week. So <laughs> I feel like I've got a little bit of expectation, a bit of a fan group building. So whoever in the Telegram, if I win today, I want to see a lot of comments in there backing me and saying, Ian, retire. So let's go. Yeah, I'm not in the Telegram group. Well, maybe you should get in the Telegram group. You can join it by oh, should do. Uh, clicking yeah. on the tweet. Uh, the pin tweet at the top of our profile which is at FSD pod and it gives you the link to the telegram group download the app and you can get straight in there and join the debate beyond when the podcast finishes but it is time for the quiz we always do youngest first so we'll start the same way this one is for you Joel Gareth Southgate as the England manager has got the three Lions to a World Cup semi-final and a Euro final but he also got his team to a Nations League semi-final in 2019 but who did they lose to for god's sake um (laughs) i think there's only one name popping out to me i'm gonna go with croatia incorrect of course it was the world cup semi-final that england lost to croatia but it was actually the netherlands that beat England 3-1 in the oh, semi-finals. I don't follow of the, the Nations, Nations League. League, forgive well, me. Well, Marcus Rashford scored in that game, and as a Manchester United fan, I thought you might know that, but they ended up playing Portugal in the final, did the Netherlands, and they lost out. So Portugal were the inaugural Nations League winners in 2019. England beaten in the semi-finals against the Netherlands. Okay, so no score there for Joel. I'm just going to make sure I've got my pen and paper and it's actually working because otherwise I don't want to be getting caught up in any controversies. <laughs> All right. Okay. So one question for Joel. No points. Next question. Ian, which former West Ham United player will be returning to the club next year as their new sporting director? Um, What's his face? Um, the one that retired last year, is it? Um, um, uh, this is my, uh, Mark Noble. It's Mark Noble, correct. Yeah, 1-0 to Ian. Well done. He's plucked that from the depths of his memory oh, somewhere. Yeah. yeah, Mark Noble will start I Mark. I, was, I, I had Mark director. in my mind. I was just trying to work out his, his uh, thingy. Yeah, that was him. Yeah, he, he retired last year, didn't he? That's correct, yeah. Retired at the end of last season, so 1-0 to Ian. How the hell's he got that role, by the way? (laughs) That is absolutely insane. My God. I think it was always going to be the case that Mark Noble stayed in and around London Stadium in some capacity, whether that just be as an ambassador or as a coach or whatever, but sporting director is what he's going in to do from January next year. Okay, back to you, Joel. Which former Premier League club counts the new king, Charles III, as one of their supporters after he was given a VIP season ticket due to charity work in the area. Oh, this is ridiculous, honestly. Honestly. I mean, come on, the royal family have been at the forefront of the world's news coverage in the last 10 days, so I thought you might know who the new yeah, king I didn't supports. Think, I, didn't, I didn't see any football on the agenda. Here's, um, here's the question again, and listen to the question carefully. Which former Premier League club counts the new king as one of their supporters after he was given a VIP season ticket due to charity work in the area. Former Premier League. I mean, there's like 90 of them. Um, All right, I'm just going to go Middlesbrough. It's not. It's Burnley. It's Burnley. So King Charles, whilst he was Prince of Wales, did some charity work in and around the Burnley area and said that he was supporting the club 
to help give the area a bit of a boost. Of course, his son, Prince William, supports Aston Villa. And Prince Harry once revealed that the majority of the royal family are actually Arsenal supporters. But (laughs) Burnley was the correct answer to that one. So, unlucky Joel, that's two misses. Ian still holds a one-goal lead. And it is time for your next question, Ian. Eric Ten Hag and Antonio Conte have been nominated for September's Manager of the Month Award. But who is the other nominee? Oh, uh, uh, well, I would have thought um, Guardiola, isn't it? No, it's actually Gary O'Neill, the temporary Bournemouth (laughs) manager (laughs) who took over from Scott Parker. He was sacked, Scott Parker, off the uh, back of a 9-0 defeat and Gary O'Neill has steadied the ship with a 3-2 win over Forest and a draw against Newcastle United. So along with Ten Hag and Conte, He's God, in the in standard the is low for this award, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, only three nominees, apparently, for the September Manager of the uh, Month. To be award. fair to him, though, they did, it was only two games, wasn't it? So, Yes, yeah. But Gary O'Neill was the other nominee. So, unfortunately, a miss there for Ian, but he still leads 1-0 going into Joel's third question. Joel, what year were you born in, by the way? Just as an aside. 96. 96, okay, then great. You'd love this question. Which oh, African go. Premier League legend scored one of the division's most famous goals... On this very day in 1995. <laughs> I, I know it as well. Of course, Ian. <laughs> you, uh, oh, God, God, 95. I wasn't even an atom back yeah. then. I, I was at college. <laughs> um, it is oh an God, iconic Ian. goal in the history of the Premier League. The celebration's iconic. The kit, arguably. The way the goal went in. It's a famous goal, and there's no doubt about it. And if you think about African Premier League legends over the years, this this player was certainly a legend in that time frame, in and around the mid nineties. Oh, gosh, gosh, gosh! There's only I can only think of one name, but I feel like it's the other one. I'm gonna go with. It's not right. This Kanu. It's not Kanu. Kanu was at Ajax, I think, at that time. So the correct answer is Tony Yaboa who scored an absolute blinder for Leeds United in off the crossbar. Is that right, Ian? I think so. Yeah, absolute screamer. Um, It was sort of from, what, about 30, 35 yards out, blasted it, one of the iconic goals, top corner, bang, straight in. Yeah, great goal. Great goal from Tony Yaboa. Unlucky Joel, that's three misses in a row. Ian, you're still winning 1-0 going into your third question, which is this. Jack Grealish was asked about his fondness for a night out, as well as some criticism from pundit Graham Souness in the recent England press conferences. Souness said that he'd like to go on a night out with Jack Grealish, and Jack Grealish responded that he's more than up for it as long as he could bring a plus one. But who did Jack Grealish (laughs) want that plus one to be? I saw this. uh, Paul Pogba. It's correct. It's the correct answer. Did he actually Paul say Pogba. that? He yeah. did actually say that, yeah. I love that. So Paul Pogba was uh, Jack Grealish's preferred plus one <laughs> in a little exchange between Souness and himself on Twitter, which was, uh, that was that was a good good fun. Good to see a little bit of uh, lightheartedness on the old social media, which sometimes football can be all too serious. So I like characters like Jack Grealish who show a bit of personality. So well done, Ian. That means that you lead by two to nil going into Joel's fourth and final question. So I don't think you can win now, Joel, unfortunately. It's just damage limitation, but, um, this is You can isn't try it? and, yeah, grab yourself a consolation with this question. American fast food chain KFC have threatened to sue which footballer this week? KFC? There's been a bit of a dispute, a bit of a back and forth between this world-famous football player 
and KFC. Um, Who's the player? Ah, I remember. It was uh, Kylian Mbappe for his image rights. It was Kylian Mbappe. Nice one, Joel. You're on the board, mate. Probably a little bit too late to... Uh, I'm taking the ball back and running into it. the net and dragging the ball to the centre circle. <laughs> All right then, we'll give uh, we'll give Ian a chance to to make it three one and really seal the points, make it comfy. Who's the only player outside of the top six, Ian, to feature in the top five for points scored in fantasy Premier League this season? Bit of a clunky question, so I'll read it again. Who is the only player outside of the traditional top six Premier League clubs who features in the top five of Premier League players for points scored in fantasy Premier League this season? Tough one, that. Um, yeah, it is. And um, they had it on uh, the list on Sky Sports last night, and uh, a player did catch my eye. And I thought, oh, I. is it? Um, is it Ivan Tony? It is Ivan Tony. Well done. Hey, Ian, well, that's absolutely why he's in the England flying, squad, mate. isn't it? Because he's doing so absolutely well. Absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, you've got Erling Haaland, of course, leading the way. Harry Kane. Uh, William Saliba is in there as well. The Arsenal centre-back. He's also scored a goal this season. Kept a couple of clean sheets as well. But the other player in that list who doesn't play for any of the top six Premier League clubs, traditional top six in inverted commas, is Brentford's Ivan Tony. Congratulations, Ian. That's another victory. You beat Joel... By three points to one. Nice one. Unlucky Joel, another defeat. Um, not sure you can come up with any excuses this time. Maybe the nerves got the better of you, did I they? Think, um, I think I'm considering my retirement a statement in due course in the Telegram group. Well, if there's any opportunity for one of us to go on Mastermind, we won't be sending you. Well, so, not for these football I mean, questions, flipping hell. <laughs> well, I mean, come on, we're a football podcast. I thought you might know who Tony Yaboa, for goodness sake. He's oh. a legend. I mean, Tony. Yeah, I can't Yab- believe your Tony Yaboa knowledge is so. Uh, I know Tony Yaboa. I should have known that when I wasn't even on the planet. God, <laughs> I know. First thing you should have been shown as a as a, well, as a I mean, toddler. Come on, there's some things you just should know, and that is one of the goals that you should see. If you've never seen it before, go and check it out. Um, this is the tiebreaker question. It would have been fastest finger first. I just wonder whether either of you would have got the answer. How many derbies will there be in the Premier League on the weekend we return after the international break? I'm going to say four. Three. Oh, it's three. Yeah, it's three. Oh, Unlucky. Really? Really? Yeah. The North London derby, yeah. the Manchester derby, and the just, East Midlands derby. in a chakra. <laughs> oh, Joel. Ian, have you been handed the paper for the answers this week or what? <laughs> <laughs> no, I only came on. up with the quiz five minutes before we started recording the podcast. Yeah. So We know that that's ah, not the case well. because Niall's still coming up with the questions <laughs> while he's asking them. <laughs> Still typing uh, them up as uh, we speak. Unlucky, Joel. That's another <laughs> loss. You know what? I think we should literally trial you by Telegram. So trial by Telegram. We'll see what Joel has to say in the group chat a little bit later on. You can download it by downloading the Telegram app from the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. And go onto our Twitter page, which is at FSDPod. Click on the pin suite and you can get added to the group chat that way. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of people tearing some strips off of Joel for his poor performance in the quiz yet again this week. I'm ready for it. But that is it for for another episode of Football Social Daily. Thanks, Ian. Congratulations on your win. (laughs) Commiserations, Joel. We'll be back next Friday with another quiz. But before that, we'll be back across the weekend with Fergal Brennan looking back on Sunday at how England have got on 
in the Nations League as well as some of the other big Premier League news that breaks over the next couple of days. So we'll catch you there for that. And also you can hear what Trevor Stephen and Francis Benali have been saying about some of the most underrated players that they ever played with in their long and illustrious careers. You can listen to that chat on the dugout, which is out tomorrow. So make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't miss it. But from us here at Football Social Daily for now, that is it. And we'll speak to you next time. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.